Here's a very good afternoon. It's Niall Boylan with you. Now, if you're driving around the streets of Ireland, you could be forgiven for believing there's only one side to this referendum because on every lamppost and every street corner and every government minister you see on television on a regular basis are going to be telling you to vote yes and vote yes to the 39th and 40th Amendment to the Constitution, which will be happening on March the 8th. I'm sure you've all got your little leaflets through the door. Have a good look at them. Inform yourself is the most important thing. If you're unsure about anything, do a little bit of research. Listen to both sides of the argument. Don't just listen to one. For example, if we watched up front the other night, we could also be forgiven for thinking we were all on the wrong side because there were many questions that were asked that were basically seemed to be misinformation. Wasn't Thomas Byrne's finest moment, I'll be honest with you. And if it was a, if it was an actual match, I think I would have gave the points to Patrick Tobin on the night. But certainly I, I tell everybody to inform themselves. One man who, well, maybe he considers himself a bit of a lone voice, but there are people on the no side. Because actually, I do remember when this all started first, when RTE, going back about four weeks ago, said, you know, it was the kind of launch of the, the referendum campaign. And they spent 10 or 15 minutes with a camera inside the Women's Council of Ireland while they were all quaffing champagne and drinking wine and celebrating the fact that the Constitution could be changed. Meanwhile, they gave about 20 seconds to some lone, voiceless people standing outside protesting with a no-vote campaign. So I think the whole thing has been really unfair. And I've always been one to say that the government tell me when I'm on radio that I must be impartial. I must give equal equal opportunities to both sides of the debate. And yet our own government don't do that. The ones who tell me to do it. I think the whole system is very unfair. But look, on March the 8th, you will be asked whether you want to make those changes to the Constitution. And I'm looking at this here. And this is being sent out by Michael McDool, who's the former Minister for Justice and Attorney General in Ireland. And uh, he's put out this uh, vote no. And he's funding this himself. Because yesterday he wrote an article and he said the referendum was a recipe for chaos. And he joins me on the line. Uh, Michael McDool, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Niall. Michael, I mean, are we getting the wrong side of the referendum? Are we being projected both sides of every referendum? When we look back, for example, at the marriage equality referendum, when we look back, for example, at the abortion referendum, and now this referendum, are we being fairly given both sides of the referendum? Um, no, we're not at the moment because um, the main political parties uh, share um, a huge hunk of state funding for their day-to-day existence. The National Women's Council of Ireland is 95% funded by the state. Um, and uh, I've produced the leaflet that you've referred to, Niall. Mm-hmm. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, I had to do that out of my own resources. And I've, I've circulated it as far as I can, both um, in... Um, hard copy form and soft copy form across the, the media. But I'm not in a position uh, to um, to uh, compete with the political parties. But having said that... But, but, but also, Michael, sorry for interrupting you, we're also competing with the NGOs because we've also heard Roderick Gorman of recent times, which I thought was extremely unfair, more or less suggest to the NGOs that if they didn't kind of conform or promote the yes vote, there'll be questions to answer. In other words, they will have to give, you know, a valid reason as to why they weren't. And we see, did see an RTE I mentioned earlier on. We saw an RTE, of course, you know, the National Women's Council with a nice big lunch and their champagne and wine. In the meantime, I felt so sorry for the six or seven ladies or whatever it was standing outside that RTE gave 30 seconds to who felt voiceless in this referendum. Well, I mean, uh, RTE and all of the uh, mainstream media, uh, broadcast media, are obliged to be even-handed in their coverage. But uh, the simple fact is that um, when it comes to putting um, posters up on lampposts or things like that, um, you know, it's state-funded organisations are, are are asking for a yes vote. Um, and Roderick O'Gorman did impliedly threaten NGOs 
that they'd need to explain why it was that they weren't uh, supporting yes votes. But that, that, that being said, you know, three organisations now uh, um, in relation to the carers uh, amendment, um, three organisations have condemned the wording, including the Irish Council for Civil Liberties, which isn't state funded. And um, I'm very confident that um, when voters think long and hard about uh, what the issues are at stake in both the family referendum and the care referendum, that they will come to the conclusion that this is a recipe for chaos. Okay, but let's look at the care referendum uh, first. Of course, we want to remove the word woman and mother uh, and take that provision out of the Constitution and replace it with carers. But the carers are concerned, of course, well, there's two things that we're concerned about. People are concerned that we're taking the word woman and mother out. And some had suggested that maybe we should have just replaced that piece with, you know, woman and mother and father and male, man and father, and put both genders in to satisfy everybody. But obviously carers want to get a look into, but they're concerned about the fact that the government in this is suggesting that the onus of care is on the family and also the wording of strive. Uh, They want a guarantee rather than strive could mean anything. And what they're saying is, realistically, the government cared about carers. You know, they could essentially legislate now. They don't have to wait for a referendum to happen. Well, that's true. First of all, there's nothing stopping the government giving all assistance that it wants to to carers. And secondly, um, this uh, so-called care referendum is putting a new article into um, the fundamental rights part of the Constitution. But there's no rights in it. Nobody can go to court and say, excuse me, I want more money spent on um, my care. No person with disability can go to court and say, I demand that this court directs the government to spend more money supporting me uh, uh, in my independent living. Because of the word you just used there, and I'll strive, it means that uh, effectively, and it has been crafted this way, to ensure that um, there are no hard rights in this for any person who either cares for other people or who needs care for other people or who needs state assistance with independent living. And that's why the um, the Irish Council for Civil Liberties has said, effectively, this is window dressing. And I regard it as an insult to people who need care, people who give care, and um, uh, to uh, those people with disabilities who are looking to the government to um, have an independent life, that they are being told that an article has been put into the fundamental rights part of the Constitution, um, but it confers absolutely no individual rights on any of Well, Thomas Byrne did say the other night on television that, you know, the word strive, he accepted the word strive because he said that's words that we use all the time in the Constitution, like endeavour or strive or try our best. He said it's just a word. And he said he believed that people were overemphasising. And he accused, well, not you personally, but the no side, including Prader Tobin from Aintu, of using red herrings to try to get the no vote. Well, so that's, that's nonsense. This was deliberately put in. It was strive. It was deliberately put in in order to deprive people who give care, need care, or want to uh, have state assistance with independent living of any right to go to court and say, I want more resources um, allocated um, to my care or my, my, um, mm-hmm. uh, dealing with my disabilities. And the other part of that, of course, the state recognised the provision of care by members of the family to one another by reason of bonds that exist among them. And, of course, the suggestion there is that the government are passing the book. In other words, this is our our responsibility and it never will be our responsibility. It's members of the family. In other words, it's up to you to look after your elderly. It's up to you to look after your disabled. Um, But look, we'll do our best and we'll strive to do our best to give you a hand every now and again. That's kind of what it says. My colleague Tom Clonan spoke in in the Shannon about this. And he, um, he he told me, he told the Shannons indeed, 
that um, uh, when he brought up the issue of uh, he is a, ch- a child with disability, uh, when he uh, raised with the, the departmental officials, um, you know, what's going to happen when he and his wife are no longer there to look after their son? Um, they, they, you know, the, the, the answer was, well, how, has, has, is there not a sister in the house who, mm-hmm. who, who could uh, carry on with the work? I mean, this is grotesque, you know. Uh, yeah. d- there are many people uh, who want to, uh, who need care, um, who, are, who have no family. And uh, therefore, to, to, um, to say that, uh, um, uh, you know, the, the state's recognition of care depends on there being family members who will deliver it is, is just an insult to a lot of people who aren't, aren't in a position as they get older. You know, a man in his 60s or 70s who is in a wheelchair there's nobody to look after him, and to start saying that uh, you recognise um, the uh, the bonds of affection between um, family members, family, mm. it's utterly meaningless in his case. Do Do you believe, by the way? Obviously, I think carers believe in something needs to be put in the constitution to give them some level of protection. But back to the original line of the constitution, by the way, about the state recognising uh, you know a woman and her life within the home. Now, firstly, let's clarify the old adage that they, this is the woman's place is in the home. Has been as you know, as you know, Niall, that is that is a nonsense, lie. absolutely, and, and, and absolutely. But it's still being trotted out by Catherine Martin, who refused, by the way, to remove a tweet that she'd put up, even though she'd been told by this, uh, the former Supreme Court judge um, Marie Baker that that was incorrect. She's refusing to take it down. So the government are actually giving people misinformation. The very government who are telling people who set up the electoral commission to, to monitor misinformation are telling people the wrong thing. But anyway, do you, do you believe that provision should have been left in? Day in, day, day, in, day out, uh, lazy-minded journalists and uh, opportunistic ministers and the National Women's Council of Ireland are talking about um, a complete um, fiction which is that the Constitution says that women's place is in the hall. The Constitution actually says nothing of the kind. Um, uh, Ms. Justice Marie Baker has gone on the record, you can find it online, saying that that is wholly untrue. But um, but uh, people believe that they can hoodwink the people by suggesting that the Constitution says that women's place is in the home, and therefore all you have to do is to vote to take, those, to take non-existent wording out of the Constitution and everything will be fine. But, um, you know, uh, the Constitution goes further than that, Niall. It says in Article 45 that all citizens, and it says men and women equally, have the right to um, earn their livelihoods. And um, there is no doubt that the Constitution does not say that women's place is in the hall. Would, would, you have, would you have accepted that the document, which is a living document, of course, we talk about the Constitution all the time, evolving with society, but would you have accepted that maybe... Uh, some people may be right in saying that that particular line is sexist or outdated and this is what they refer to it as. And this is the reason they want to get rid of it or they say they want to get rid of it. But maybe that it should have been changed somewhat to recognise both genders, uh, man and woman, father and mother. Would that have been an acceptable change? Well, it could easily have been done. I mean, you could easily put in parent rather than uh, mm-hmm. mothers. But I, but, but to be honest with you, I mean... Um, I believe this is part of a wider agenda to um, de-genderize the Constitution and to take away the whole concept of mother or woman from it and say that everyone is just a person. Well, we've been doing that, haven't we, within the HSE and with with other documents online as well, referring to people as persons, including pregnant persons and all sorts of things. Who are pregnant. You can't say a pregnant woman anymore. We're just Mm. bonkers. 
Yeah, I did see um, one government website, by the way, which gives, uh, sorry to go down this road, but gives sexual advice and refers to people with cervixes, which I thought was the most unnatural thing I've ever seen in my life. Anyway, getting back to, I suppose, the second part, which is the family part. But in Thomas Bourne, again, as I said, wasn't his finest moment the other night, suggested that, you know, if somebody was married and they weren't separated or divorced, but just kind of fell out of love, and then they met a new person, that that also would be a durable relation. So now we could be in two and three multiple durable relations at the same time. Is that going to cause a problem within family law? Of course it does. I mean, um, if you say that people, because they um, set up a a household together for, say, two or three years, a constitute a family, which is the gist of what this is all about, what happens if one of them just walks out and and then sets up another uh, arrangement with somebody else? Does the first um, uh, household cease to be a family on that account? And can a, can a man, for instance, more likely to be men, but um, could be women too, can you be um, uh, part of two families at the same time? Uh, nobody's answered that. And you see, this... Well, well currently under law, can you, you can't currently be under law, be part of two families at the same time. Because unless you go to a divorce, of course, uh, yeah, and get exactly. a divorce. Yeah. But, but, the, but the point about divorce, Niall, is that under the Constitution, and this will remain in the Constitution, um, married people cannot divorce except by getting a court order. And the court order is prohibited from being made unless the parties and their dependents are prop- properly provided for. That's in the Constitution. That's the change we made when we introduced divorce, that uh, you know, you, you, the, the, the court had to make sure that the um, parties to the arrangement were uh, properly provided for. Now, look at the, look at the situation that will arise here. How do you end a durable relationship? If I walk out the door of a, dur- of a, a durable relationship I'm in and slam the door, it, does it still exist? If I, um, or do you have to get a court order to end it? Well, there's, well, there's no court order to end it. There's nothing like that. I mean, um, if, I, if I set up an, an arrangement with, with another woman, um, where, um, what does the first woman, is she still a member of a family with me or did her family just evaporate when I walked out the door? None of this has been provided for in this in this referendum. So how do they provide? Because, of course, we hear, for example, single parents associations. We hear people who cohabit together on a regular basis. We say, well, we want to be recognised in the Constitution as a family. Um, now, I know there is civil partnerships out there. There's legislation around civil partnerships. I mean, the, the government, I'm assuming, can legislate for all of that. We, do we need that in the Constitution? Or is that just some sort of emotion? No, we don't. We don't need um, uh, uh, to, uh, to put anything in the constitution for this. We have, at the moment, since two thousand and ten, a um, cohabitants uh, a regime provided in the two thousand and ten Act, and it provides that um, you get certain limited rights uh, as a cohabitant um, to uh, maintenance and to uh, share in your in the other cohabitants' estate. If you are what the, what the Act says is a qualified cohabitant, and the qualified cohabitant has to be people who've been in a relationship for five years or if they've had a child two years, and they, under Section 202 of that Act, they can opt out of it. They can sign a document saying, we don't want to have any um, uh, succession rights or maintenance rights, and um, effect will be given to, to such agreements. But we're now dealing with a situation where um, the... Um, we're dealing with a situation where all of these matters will be decided according to the ministers by the courts. But as you know, Niall, courts don't decide things in the abstract. They only decide 
uh, cases which are brought between two people um, um, who are disagreeing and who are asking a judge to adjudicate on the matter. So, um, but we're also being we're, we're we're told by Thomas Byrne the night that they won't end up in the courts that the Oireachtas will be able to legislate for all this or decide for all this. I don't but think that's, that that's simply not true because um, go back to the O'Mara case recently. Um, it decided that um, a couple who'd been living together had children and um, the female party, Mrs. Uh, the, the 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 woman involved, that uh, she she had uh, um, she didn't want to get married. They'd been living together for nineteen years, and uh, apparently she had a um, a, a reluctance to get married, but um, Mr. O'Mara brought a case based on in, um, equality rights for himself and his children to say that um, it was an in, in a, it was a discrimination to uh, deprive him of uh, the social welfare entitlements that a, a widowed man would have in similar circumstances after her death, um, and uh, he won that. And we're going to now have to amend our um, social welfare law to provide for those cases. But that's a matter for the Oireachtas to do. And, um, you know, uh, the Oireachtas is going to have to decide in a, in a, in a series of um, individual cases whether um, it's going to extend that to all people who've cohabited or uh, will you only be entitled to a widow's, widowed pension after five years or three years. Um, that's, for, that's for us in, in, in Leinster House to decide. Just finally, on the, dur- on the durable relationships, according to the leaflet being sent out by the government, they're defining it as a committed relationship over two years. Um, but but that doesn't really hold up in law, does it? Because, I mean, realistically... Well, it doesn't. Um, the, the the minister told both houses of the Oireachtas that durable relationship was for the courts to decide its meaning. And, um, for instance, he hopes that it will include single parents. So relationship in that sense is the relationship of the mother to the child. But um, take, in, take the following scenario. If you say that a mother and her child are now to be regarded as a family and a man moves in with a, a, a single parent mother and um, they have two further children and then um, for some reason that relationship breaks up and he leaves, um, it, was that a durable relationship? Um Mm-hmm. That can only be uh, decided by a court, apparently. And when it, when he moves on to to um, an, another relationship, um, is he party to? Um, is he part of a family based on the um, first relationship or the second relationship, or is he part of two families uh, which still continue to exist? None of that has been clarified. And, and, and some of the stuff that's been thrown out has been, you know, a bit bizarre to be honest. Which is the idea that we could this could possibly legalize polygamy. Well, possibly legalised couples, which was mentioned, of course, as well. I know they can be a little bit red herrings, but I mean, is that invariably? I mean, could that happen? Could the Supreme Court decide if somebody takes a case that they they're allowed to have five durable relationships with five different women, or be in a relationship with two different women at the same time? No, um, it, 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 there isn't any question that it will legalise bigamy because bigamy is a crime. If you if you marry somebody when you're already married. You commit an offence, and any person who purports to marry you commits an offence as well. But um, take the following example: supposing um, a man um, from an Islamic country comes to Ireland, um, maybe via England, and has um, um, uh, two partners, both of whom were married to him legally under the law, say of 
Nigeria. Um, the question that arises then is, if they have children in Ireland, have they any family rights? Is, is their relationship durable? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the, a fundamental question. Or, or are we going to say to him, you have no family rights whatsoever? And uh, to the two women in, 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 that, in, in that scenario, you have no family rights and your children aren't part of a family. I mean, that's what, that's what, these are serious okay. questions. Well, speaking of people going from abroad, and finally, I suppose, one that concerns a lot of people as well, Neil Richmond obviously mentioned that this would extend uh, the definition of family reunification. Currently, at the moment, an average of 12 people are, you know, usually provided for in family reunification uh, when it comes to people seeking asylum or international protection or refugees in Ireland. Um, do you believe that this will extend the definition of family re- reunification? In other words, are we going to see those numbers rise from 12 on average per person to possibly a lot more because we can now include other people who they could claim they're in a durable relationship. Well, I, I think it's almost inevitable that it will have um, consequences for immigration law and for uh, a, a lot of things to do with the state's capacity to deal with um, people coming into the country. And Neil Richmond on television said it would have serious consequences for um, uh, um, these matters. That his phrase was serious consequences. And I think the great majority of Irish people want to know what those consequences are. I think they want to know, um, a lot of people think that, uh, you know, um, if in future somebody is able to either resist being deported because they now claim to be in a durable relationship, even though um, mm-hmm. they're married as well or whatever, um, that's, that kind of scenario is going to um, very seriously handicap the state's capacity to deal with um, a lot of uh, uh, cases that come before the courts um, dealing with uh, immigration, migrants' rights, and um, uh, the... No, we, already, we already know that whole situation is a mess at the moment. We already know the immigration uh, situation in this country has gone beyond uh, reckless now at this stage anyway. so with that, But, you, but the point I would make, Neil, yeah. about that is that the um, if a minister of state says this will have serious consequences for that area, it's amazing that the Taoiseach who was embarrassed by that statement by, by Neil Richmond, um, uh, just dismissed it by saying it's a red herring. It's not a red herring. If you put something into the Constitution and say that in future various relationships, and the plural has been used, can constitute, can be the basis of a family, the courts will, they're bound to give some meaning to all of those phrases. They, they aren't entitled to but say... The, well, there was a report, but it was... Well, there was a report done for the government in relation to the ramifications of the constitutional change for reunification of immig- in immigration. But for some reason, we're not being privy to that report. And the, and the same, I know you asked on the Freedom of Information as well, uh, in the run-up to, obviously, the announcement of the referendum, uh, there were meetings had, uh, particularly with an NGO, and you wanted that under Freedom of Information, and that was refused to you. Why do you believe we're being refused information which is really important for the general public to know about? See, if these bills had gone through the ordinary process, there'd be a thing called pre-legislative scrutiny. And that would involve a committee of the Oireachtas um, bringing in officials from the Department of Justice and saying, what are the immigration consequences of this? Bringing in um, social welfare department officials to say, you know, what are the consequences of extending the scope of family to um, to non-marital families? Bringing in um, Department of Finance officials to say, are is there a possibility here that we're going to have to give the same tax breaks 
to um, durable relationship families as we now give to marital families. And you know yourself, uh, between married people, for instance, there are, uh, there are tax-free, you can give property yeah. tax-free one to the other. Um, uh, married people have um, uh, advantages that single people don't have in terms of certain uh, tax thresholds. Um, all of those issues would have been decided uh, if there had been pre-legislative scrutiny. But what we're told is that there were 16 at least and maybe 19 um, meetings of an, it, an interdepartmental group over um, uh, the, the, year, the year 2023. And um, when I asked, um, can we see the minutes of those um, uh, meetings so that we can see what departmental officials and ministers were actually saying as the consequence of this, I was told that it was not in the public interest that this information and these minutes should be disclosed in advance of uh, the, the the vote, but they will be disclosed. They will be disclosed as soon as the vote is over, and they they claim that this was the McKenna principles, which uh, is a gross distortion. The McKenna principles um, are principles laid down by the Supreme Court that the state cannot put money into one side or another of a referendum campaign, uh, that it uh, it, it can't uh, use taxpayers' money to produce a particular result. That has nothing to do with um, a record of, say, uh, a, a Department of Finance official or memorandum saying these are the implications for tax if we uh, vote yes or, 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 or not. Uh, and I find it deeply offensive that um, not only I, but also um, Carol Nolan, a TD, has been told by the minister that these minutes will only be revealed after the referendum vote has happened. And I think, you know... But it does show the contempt. And it does show the contempt for the electorate, actually, doesn't it? To be honest with you, I mean, look, we've seen we've seen evidence of the contempt for the electorate, particularly when I saw the the interview, or they should say the press um, conference there with Catherine Martin, and when Ben Scallon from Grip Media asked her about the disinformation or misinformation that Judge Marie Baker said was had been put out for her, and she completely flatly refused to change her mind and change her observations in relation to it. Also, of course, then there was another instance where in a press conference yesterday where they walked out. And, okay, yeah. they can argue that at the end of a press conference they could go on forever if they keep allowing questions. But I think, you know, an element of manners would have been nice. Um, I thought it was very, very unfair. But well, just, well, they, cert they certainly appear to be afraid of hard questions. Well, they do, and we, which is which just shows, and I have said this on Twitter as well, which just shows the contempt the government. I've never seen in my 60 years, I'm 60 years alive on this planet, and 60 years following politics from a very young boy, and in my 60 years, I have never seen a government ignore the general public in the way that this government has. And that's just my own personal view on it. But anyway, Michael, uh, the brochure's out. If anybody wants to grab it online, you can get it on Michael McDool's website, by the way, as well. Or you can go onto his Twitter account. There's a PDF of it over there. It gives you all the reasons as to why you should vote no. Again, I can't tell you to vote no. I could tell you you should vote whatever way you think is right. And we will be talking to yes people as well in relation to that. But Michael, your prediction for the referendum, you think it will be a no vote? I think, I think that when, when it, it all depends who comes out to vote and how convinced they are of, their, of, of the case and how much they understand. But um, I'll tell you this, I believe it will be decisively beaten. I'd say it will be at least 60-40 and maybe 70-30 no. And do you think there'll be good turnout for this referendum? And I, well, I, I think it was, by the way, it was quite strategic to have it on, national, uh, on Women's Day, International Women's Day. That was very strange I mean, by the government. That's, that, that's another point that really annoys me. There was a case, there is a case listed before the Supreme Court, which the Supreme Court said 
was of um, considerable public importance. And um, it, is, it was listed for the 11th of April. And the, it was based, it was a woman who was looking after a, a profoundly disabled child. And she was um, seeking uh, to uh, um, reverse a decision by the Department of Social Welfare to, to cut her carer's allowance because her partner, not her husband's, her partner's income now exceeded a certain amount. And that was that was accepted um, by the Supreme Court as um, a, a case uh, which should be directly appealed from the High Court to the Supreme Court. And it depends and on the wording of the Constitution as it now exists. That's the 11th of April was the date fixed for hearing. The government um, then decided that they were going to uh, fix this referendum for the 8th of March. And if the referendums were passed, the words that she's relying on would be taken we'll be out of the Constitution. Yeah. I, I, I spoke to, I only actually, I only had a woman on the air only recently, I had an 18-year-old son with a, a disability which required 24-hour care. And similar to that woman who was taking that case to court, because her husband earned just over the threshold, uh, she wasn't entitled to the, the, the carers' allowances mean tested, which I think was awful. Just before you go, Michael, um, will you be running for president? Because somebody suggested <laughs> it on Twitter. I should be. Is this a build-up? Are, are we getting a warm-up for the presidency? Is, is that what I, it is? I, I, I think my dog um, um, would, would find uh, Michael D's kennels a bit too uh, roomy. He's a small little dog. Um, so I... I'd, I'd have to think long and hard about that. Yeah, well, I mean, you'll be, you'll be in good company there with Peter Casey, I imagine, who's running again. And, of course, we have an MMA fighter most likely going to be in there as well. Bertie Ahern, of course, has thrown his hat in the ring most likely. And Enda Kenny, so you'll be in good company. Well, I mean, um, I think sufficient for, uh, to the day is the evil thereof. I want a decisive rejection of these two uh, referendums. And then we'll see what happens next. Okay, if anyone wants to grab this, it's on Michael uh, Michael McDool's website or you'll find it on his Twitter account or any of his social media accounts. 154,000 people have already downloaded what's okay. Michael McDool, listen, thank you very much indeed for joining us today. I appreciate it. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Podcast. Listen live on Facebook, YouTube, and all the usual live stream services. To get in touch, just WhatsApp or text 85 100 the Nile Boylan Podcast. They told me to shut up. Available for download from all your usual platforms.